Yes, there's a lot of a lot of applications of this, and it's relevant to many mitzvah. No, it's a, it's a serious issue. Not a joke. Um, I eat, I get heartburn from matzah. I get heartburn from a lot of mitzvot. Um, uh, Ron gets even more heartburn from many more mitzvot than I do. But uh, so so that's the question. So where how does it work? As we know, if of course a mitzvah endangers your life, then there's no question. You're not, not only are you exempt, you're not allowed to even do that mitzvah. If you do it, you even haven't fulfilled the mitzvah. For example, we discussed in the past, let's say your doctor tells you eating matzah on Pesach is dangerous to you for whatever reason. Um, so then you're exempt. Not only are you exempt, it's prohibited to eat the matzah. We said, we gave a class, I don't remember when, two years ago, that if you eat the matzah when your doctor told you not to eat the matzah, and then you get better at the end of the Seder, you have to re-eat the matzah because... When you eat it, if your doctor told you not to eat, if your doctor told you to do something um, to no, or not do something, and you didn't listen to him where it could endanger your life, you, it invalidates the mitzvah. That's how, because uh, listening to your doctor in itself is a mitzvah, as we discussed many times. So we're not talking, that's off the table. We're not talking about that. Again, we're talking about something where, you know, it gives you a stomach ache, it gives you a headache, um, whatever the case is, it gives you something... Or discomfort is one level, and then we'll see the next level where you can even, you might go to bed. You get a migraine from it, you'll get, which is something that's going to make you take off work. You'll, you'll have to go to bed for it. So the question is, where do we draw the line in mitzvot? What am I obligated, how much suffering am I obligated to go through to perform a mitzvah? Okay? Mm -hmm. So some mitzvahs yeah. are bigger deals than others. That's true. Uh, how much discomfort and nuisance do you have to put up with to save a life as compared to uh, a, a minor mitzvah? Right, I, I got you. No minor mitzvahs, but to me there's minor mitzvahs. No, there, there is minor mitzvahs. You know, anyway, Hanukkah, I don't know. Nefesh is a big, yes. is biggie. Yes, 100%. So I, I would think that you have to really be legitimately sick or at risk you call, there's a leaking aneurysm in the emergency room. You know, I, I threw up today, I don't feel good, I'm kind of on the sick side, I don't... As I'm a physician. Yeah, I'm not going to get off my butt and go take care of that. Somebody's it's a good point, right, but saying that's a, I think that's I mean, a good point. So. do that. Right, meaning if you don't show up, hopefully you have someone covering you. I mean, like I meaning if you only, have no one covering you, that's the only surgeon in the county for... Oh, okay, so that's a good question. <laughs> right, so that's a good question. Meaning, but in a regular uh, big city right. situation, as long as you have someone covering, meaning that's... Because otherwise, as a physician, that's a whole different question, meaning it's endless. You'll never be able to read. I mean, you never be able to sleep. You never, you know, meaning if I always have to I, I go could, and be on I call and everyone knocking on the door. Because... I might get caught. <laughs> right. So, right. So that's a different situation. Are you talking uh, that you were in a situation like that? Because, or you mean he lived in years? He lived in Alabama. There's only one doctor in Alabama. There's only one doctor in the whole Alabama where he lived. All of Alabama. Well, there was only one good one. <laughs> <laughs> so nah, he wasn't so good. He told me his patients even more than Right. <laughs> so, uh, so again, so so there's there's. So I want to make sure we're not discussing uh, danger to life. That's obvious in that situation. Um, that is obvious that, uh, of course, you have to do 
you, you're prohibited from doing a mitzvah, as we know many times. So, so we're discussing again. Let's start with the case of sukkah, which is minor discomfort, or something that might put you into bed, but it's not dangerous. Meaning somehow it will, uh, you know, that's like we're saying, a migraine, a, a stomachache, where you're going to have to take off from work and, and lay down because of it. Okay, so do I, am I obligated to do the mitzvah even where it will put me into that situation? Okay, so so the first question is really we do f- the, the the question is going to be sukkah in essence sounds like the the concept that we found we discussed last week, which is mitzta'er, which means a discomfort um, of sleeping in the sukkah for whatever reason. It's too cold. It's too hot. Too extreme weather. Whatever that case is. So that is clearly the Gemara brings a verse for that we mentioned last week, which is it's based on a verse specifically to Sukkah, which is Teishvu, um, as we mentioned last week, Teishvu Kein Tadur. That means you have to dwell in your Sukkah as you dwell in your home. So just like if I'm discomforted in my home, the AC goes out, I check into the Hilton or Motel Six, whichever your preference, whichever amount of points you have. So, so, um, so therefore I can leave my home, I can leave my sukkah just as I would leave my home. Because it's based on this verse. The verse says, dwell in the sukkah as you would in your home. So it's a, as we mentioned last week, it's strict, meaning you have to do everything you do in your home in your sukkah. But on the other hand, anything you would leave your home for, leave your dining room, because it's leaked, there's a leak in the roof, so then you can leave your sukkah. So obviously that is specific to sukkah. The question becomes, but it also mentions there, as we uh, last week, chola, that an ill person is exempt from sukkah. And there's a debate uh, um, as to whether the ill person is exempt be- just because of his illness, or is it the same inclusion, he's just discomforted. Most people are not feeling well, so you're discomforted, so you can leave your sukkah um, based on the discomfort rules. So if you say it's the same discomfort, so then you can't obviously apply the illness, the exemption of illness in Sukkot to other mitzvot. If you say chola is a separate, uh, separate category, it's not just discomfort, it's, it's, it's putter because you're ill, so then maybe you could apply it. And that's the question, because for example, as we mentioned last week, I believe, I don't remember anymore, that the first night of Sukkot there's an obligation to eat in the Sukkah, even if you're discomforted, at least make Kiddush, eat something, eat a kazayit of bread. Uh, an hour volume of bread because there's a mitzvah t- t- uh, only on the first night. Meaning the rest of Sukkot, I never have to enter the Sukkot technically if I'm eating, if I'm not eating bread. The first night, just like by Pesach, we said um, we eat matzah, there's an obligation to eat matzah, there's no obligation the rest of Pesach to eat matzah. If you want to have uh, quinoa and uh, the rest of Pesach, quinoa crackers or potato flour crackers, which are pretty bad, it might make you ill, um, then, you, then you don't have to ever eat matzah again the rest of Pesach. Um, so the same thing with sukkah, it's only the first night there is an obligation. So even if you mitzvah, it says go in the sukkah for a few minutes, eat your kezai, the bread, make a lesha basukkah, the bracha, and then go back in the house. Yeah. Not everybody, including rabbis, are aware of that rule. I was at a, an affair in a sukkah the other night, and somebody was bragging that they had dinner with their rabbi in the sukkah and it was pouring down rain and the rabbi So, so the Talmud re- says, I don't want to... Now you'll remember this. I don't want to bash any rabbis, but uh, the Talmud says if you do that, or the halach says, you're, you're nikra hadyat. He's called, you're called really a fool if no, you're no, eating no, in the rain in the sukkah. Yes. Okay? <laughs> so, uh, it, again, if it's the first night, maybe if it was the first night, then it could be... It was, it's a Suppose good. you're minimally discomforted but you're infectious. 
Because so you pose a danger to everybody else. That's a different question, which we I think we discussed that in the past. So let's say you, if you're infectious, yeah, you need you can't cause danger to anyone else. Okay. Um, you know, you have no right to endanger other lives, even in shoals where we discussed. I think when right. it came to one of those diseases going around, I remember which one, uh, Ebola or whatever. You you. You're, they have a right to kick you out of shul. The shul could even tell you yeah. what's going on today with the non-vaccinated kids. Right. Schools are kicking them out of Jewish schools. All the rabbis ruled, almost all the rabbis, that the kids should not be allowed in school. We had a meeting here, and there were parents who refused to vaccinate because they're granola type or whatever the reason is. They saw on Facebook that it could kill your mother-in-law so if you vaccinate. So, they, so those, we kicked the kids out of school. We gave them, unless they come with a medical exemption, specific even, because it's a lot of doctors now who making money or just giving letters out saying this, yeah, you shouldn't vaccinate, we're anti-vax. You have MDs in town who are anti-vax and they're getting letters. So we, we now require a specific letter This saying this particular kid has a problem for to be vaccinated. But otherwise, it's prohibited. Yeah. Can we turn these Don't MDs into the medical board? <laughs> They shouldn't be licensed. You're right. You're right. But uh, Why? I got enough problems. Why? Hey, okay, lots of medically What statute is being violated? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a medical thing. You know, we have to be very careful about taking away somebody's license by the force of government. This is a good Okay, okay, we're getting off that next week. We'll talk about that next week. We'll stay, well, maybe we'll talk about that, but not, not today. <laughs> okay. So, uh, okay, so now, so again, the question becomes so most. Most later day authorities rule that a chola, even the first night, doesn't have to eat in the sukkah. So you see, they're creating this this exemption of a ill person is different than the regular general discomfort. It's not just that a chola is discomforted. They they've ruled chola is exempt. So then now we have a leeway to apply to other mitzvot. That's going to be the question. So there's a few. It's interesting is that it's not really addressed in a real way um, until the 1700s, this question of exemption from mitzvah because of discomfort or illness, or minor illnesses, again, um, which is interesting. <coughs> like you think they would have addressed it head on, but it seems like people did mitzvot even though they they got, uh, they, they didn't feel well. So I don't know why it wasn't addressed till more recently, this question. So there's a, there's a few different things I found. So let's see how to start here. Um, okay, so again, in sukkah we find this concept that even even the first night you would be exempt just if if you're ill. And by going in the house, and I, I think we forgot to mention this, way, it has to be by leaving the sukkah and going into the house, your discomfort will go away or be less discomfort. It's not going to solve the problem by going in the house, meaning so then there's no difference between the then you don't have an exemption. The exemption is because I'm discomforted because of the sukkah, because I'm outside, therefore I'm going to go back in. How are you? I didn't leave any room for you. Sorry. Happy birthday. Thank you very much. You didn't have to do attendance already. You don't get the gold star for today. Okay, so now, um, so okay. let's see where I should start from here. Okay, so. He wants to look as good as me. Every day I keep trying. <laughs> I keep trying. Okay, so there's two. What's what's interesting is, so again, you see from Sukkot, technically speaking, there is a concept of a, an illness, even a minor illness, meaning that something that's no danger to your life. You're just going to get a big migraine headache, big stomach ache, is sufficient, seemingly, to allow 
um, for for an exemption of the mitzvah. Maybe we see that from Sukkot, but there's a Gemara, the fascinating Gemara in Midarim. Gemara says like this, yes. So that has some interesting implications, really, for mm-hmm. medicine as to how much you should do just to relieve a, a little bit of discomfort. So you know, obviously defined as an illness. Right, you should do, you should do a lot to try what to save a life. There's no question. What should the but insurance company pay for? It's relevant. Yeah, but what is medically necessary if it's to relieve a, a mild discomfort? How much drugs should you use? How much risk should you take? If, if it's a, a matter of oh, which time will cure? Time will cure it. But sometimes it takes a week instead of seven days. So, yeah, no, it's 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 major ramifications, obviously, for many things, um, and many mitzvot, as we're going to see. So we're going to try to focus on the mitzvot today, because it's the day after the Yantif, and still recovering from the holiday. Too much birthday celebration. (laughs) Yes, so I'm trying to find where this Kamara is, I don't remember. One second. Just saw it this morning, but it's gone. So um, the Gemara in there's two Gemaras here that are relevant. One is Gemara Nadarim, which I'm trying to find here. Did I have it? Yeah, it's Mentesan based. Okay, so 49b in Nadarim says like this interesting story. Um, story is like this it says, um, there was a rabbi whose face was all red and they accused him of being drunk drunk rabbi never heard of him yes, he said like this he says, Yehuda's shining countenance is the focus of another story he brings a bunch of stories here about um, rabbis with red faces and it says here Amra uh, Matrinusa, a certain Roman noblewoman um, the Rabbi Yehuda said to Rabbi Yehuda Mairi Viravi a decisor, you're a posek, you call yourself a rabbi who decides uh, legal halachic opinions and you're drunk? How can a rabbi who decides legal issues be drunk? You can't uh, be intoxicated when that's actually halacha. You know, that's one of the reasons, by the way, even yesterday, uh, in some shuls, the custom is that we do, on some Torah, we do um, in shachras. Usually berchakonim, the blessing of the priest, is done in musaf. So the custom in many uh, shuls is to do it in shachris and sanghastar because if the konim are drunk, they're prohibited from uh, doing berchat konim. Um, so when they might, we're concerned they might that, take a drink. That's in Galut, right? In Israel, they do shachrit no problem. Uh, I think it depends. Like Germans, I heard do it. I've seen at the kotel no problem in the morning. Yeah, so I'm saying there's different communities have different. I don't know. I don't know if there's a general Israel. I don't know. Um, but the bottom line is, so, so a rabbi also is prohibited from giving halachic ruling if he drank more than a certain amount. But also prohibited to pray. There's a lot of rules about intoxication. So, um, so it says here, so this woman, this noble, uh, Roman noble woman, asked Rabbi Yudah, you look, your face is red, you're drunk. How could you be a, you call yourself a rabbi? Amar Las, he said to her, Haminusa bida dahi itza, by the honor of that woman, I don't know who that woman is, what that means, they said, by the honor of that woman, I would be swearing falsely if I even tasted wine the entire year, except to make Kiddush, Avdala, and drink the four cups of Pass- on Passover night. He says, I don't touch wine. I hate wine. I can't stand wine. 
I don't touch wine. He says, except for three things, except for Kiddush, Havdalah, and four cups. Uh, four cups. And then he, he went on to say, the rabbi went on to say, V'chograni tzedai in Pesach Adayatzeres. Not only that, but after the drinking the four cups on Pesach, he says, I must bind my temples to alleviate the headache I have from Passover all the way to Shavuot. Just from <laughs> drinking the four cups of wine. He says, I have a headache straight from, uh, from Passover to Shavuot, and I don't know what, binding the temples. That's how they used to take care of uh, migrants in those days. Binding my temple. temples, that's his language. He says, I have to tie up my temples. Um, see if anyone explains it here. So, uh, I, don't, I don't know what binding the temples means, but that's what he used to do because he had a headache. So, someone say, you see from this Gemara, it would seem like even though he got this massive headache from drinking four cups of wine, all the way to Shavuos, he still uh, drank it. What we're saying is, you seem like you should be exempt if you're a chola. If a mitzvah makes you sick, and this is, by the way, so this is a rabbinic, like you said, this is a, I wouldn't say it's a minor mitzvah, four cups is a pretty big mitzvah, but, it, but it's, a not a, it's not a biblical mitzvah. Um, maybe Kiddush is, but uh, it's not a biblical mitzvah. And in the Yushalmi has another version of the same story with the same rabbi, the Talmud Yushalmi. Um, he says, he doesn't mention even, over there he only mentions the four cups, he doesn't mention the, the Kiddush. So the Rajbah, which I don't have in front of me, I forgot to bring, the Chuvasa Rajbah has, brings this, as someone asked him this question, he said he gets sick when he drinks wine. Does he have to drink um, the four cups at Pesach? And the Rajbah said, based on this story of the Gemara, it would seem like yes. He says that, um, he says again, like you said, you could be drink grape juice. There are other options, raisin wine they had in those days, but that uh, with less alcohol. But he has to push himself to drink the four cups of wine. He bases, he, he rules based on this. And the Shulchan Aruch actually brings this, um, brings this case, brings this ruling of the Rajbah. And the Shulchan Jewish law says like this. If I could find it. Oh, it's over here. 472.10. 472.10. So if an rule... Tell the Yahoo got a, a headache from drinking wine. Can you imagine the headache he's had? <laughs> 472 cents. It's like this. Someone who doesn't drink wine because it harms him, and we have to define... Again, harm doesn't mean that, again, the Koch Nevesh doesn't mean endangers his life. It means he, whatever it is, he gets a bad stomachache, bad headache, oh, so no, or because he just hates wine. Many people hate, don't like wine, the lower socioeconomic levels. People don't appreciate wine like me. Tzarech lit chok atzmo. No, I'm saying, yeah, you have to, wine is an acquired taste. You can't. So, why, why are you shaking your head? I'm, I'm not sure I agree with any of those statements, but just okay. keep going. Statements do you agree with? No, I'm saying I don't like so wine. Not many, no, I'm saying okay. is wine is, is an acquired taste. I'm not so sure. It's not true? I'm not sure. Okay. I don't know that that's a fact, but okay. Okay. Tzarech Lidchok in Brooklyn is, I don't know. Tzarech Atzmo. So they so pass in the Shulchan Aruch. Even in a case again where it's going to be maziko, it's going to harm him in a certain way. Osono, or he hates wine. Says the Shulchan Aruch, you have to push yourself. Push yourself, and um, in order to drink and fulfill the mitzvah of the four cups. Okay, says the Chavetz Chaim here. Where is it? Ten. Says Nesha Maziko, so the Chafetz Chaim points out in his commentary here. But Salomar, it doesn't mean that it's going to literally harm you. Because obviously, if it's going to harm you, of course you're exempt. 
It means he's discomforted, majorly discomforted by drinking the wine because the Rosh is in. He gets a massive headache. He gets a headache by drinking the four cups of wine. Um, so, so again, it's very. I want to just stress that again. We're not talking about where it's literally going to harm you. If the mitzvah will harm you, of course you're exempt. Talking about with the harm is a, a aching pain, some suffering, but not a serious harm. Yes. So, so you have an alcoholic who would fall off the wagon if he drank ah, four so that's, cups of wine. Ah, that's, that's danger. That's a, a danger. Yeah, that would okay. be uh, so alcoholics should not. A, a, yeah, yeah, 100%. 12 steps. So we, we believe in the 12 steps, yeah. Okay. 10 steps, 12 Does grape juice satisfy the mitzvah? According to most, yeah. I mean, it's best to drink wine, but uh, many people drink grape juice. Most, many, most posts can hold that it is. The question is because it's non-alcoholic. So that's, some say you need to have some alcohol, and it's only defined as wine. It's, uh, if it's, so has some alcohol. Yes, no, I've never been. I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, grape juice. Grape juice is not a problem. Okay, he says. So the Mishabur goes on to say that even if you're going to have to go to bed, then already you're exempt. He's saying this is talking about you're going to get a headache, but you're not going to to go lay down. Meaning again, there's really, as we discussed in Halacha in general, there are four levels of illness. So there's what's called pikuach nefesh, sakanat nefashot. That's one of the, the obviously the most extreme level of illness. That, of course, you're exempt from everything. Um, then you have cholish aimbo sakana. That means you're sick, but there's no danger to your life, but you're going to be hospitalized. Okay, there are illnesses like that where you're hospitalized, but it's not a danger to your life. You're, and there's no, you're in stable condition, everything's fine. So that's the next level, cholish aimbo sakana. And then there's um, what he's calling nafal mishkav. That means it's not really an illness, you're not going to go to the hospital, but you're going to take off the day from work because of that illness. You know, you have a bad cold, you have to be in bed, you're constantly sneezing, a uh, uh, flu might be very, could be dangerous, some would say, depends on, on your age, I guess, or whatever. So a uh, flu considered a danger, would you consider that People dangerous? Die. Yeah, right. People every year, right. about 30,000 right. Okay, I'm saying but it's usually die. older or young or babies, I mean, a normal healthy person could That's die. Most, it's infants, old people. Right. Okay. So, so the, the so then there's again there's the People third level here. would be what we call nafal mishkan. That means you're going to go to bed for it just because the ache and pain is is so bad. You're going to go to bed. You're going to go lay down, but it's not at all something that that's dangerous. Okay, and then you have the last level is mechush. Uh, that means it's a discomfort. You have a headache. You have a stomachache, but it's not something you take the day off from work because of that. Except in Alabama. Um, <laughs> There were no days off in Alabama. Thank um, you from Mississippi. Okay, so so again, so the so the is saying very clearly he's excluding. He's saying this is the low. We're talking about the lowest threshold of illness, which is the wine makes you sick, but not seriously sick enough, even that you're gonna have to go to bed. Says so once you have to go to bed, then you're. He seems to be saying you'd be exempt um, in that case. Um, so he says, and he points out an interesting thing, because this halacha is not found by Kiddush. We only find this halacha stated that you, ex- that, that, uh, you have to push yourself to drink the wine by four cups. Now, Kiddush, by the way, 
is actually and the hierarchy of mitzvot, Kiddush would be higher. Kiddush on a Friday night mm-hmm. is actually, we, we, the Talmud calls that a biblical commandment. Kiddush is considered a biblical mitzvah in the sense that the Torah says you have to be mekadesh at the Shabbat. You have to sanctify the Shabbos. How do we sanctify the Shabbos? By making Kiddush. So in essence, we view Kiddush as a biblical mitzvah and it doesn't even, it doesn't say this in the laws of Shabbos. It doesn't mention you have to push yourself. Um, Four cups of wine, according to most, is only rabbinical. So it's interesting, the distinction. So the Mishnah Baruch points out the reason for that. Chavetz uh, Chaim says, Kiddush, he says, Because over there, you can fulfill the mitzvah by hearing someone else make Kiddush. You don't have, there's no obligation for you to personally to make Kiddush and drink wine. If someone else makes Kiddush and has you in mind, the rabbi makes Kiddush, your wife makes Kiddush, whoever it is, wife, it's questionable, we're not going there. Um, <laughs> is it better to drink wine when you make Kiddush? Or yes, no, so I'm saying it's, so it's a good same. point also. Oh, so again, same thing. Some, yeah, technically, yeah, uh, not necessarily, no. It's no, more important to drink wine morning. at the four cups than a Kiddush, because I'll explain in a second why. But in essence, Kiddush Shabbat is a higher on the hierarchy of mitzvahs, as you mentioned before. Yeah, Kiddush well. Shabbat would be biblical. This is only rabbinical, but still, this halach is only mentioned here. And he's pointing that out, one second, let me figure he's pointing that out. The reason is because on Kiddush, there is an option to hear from someone else. Our book, the four cups of wine, you can't say, well, he drank the four cups of wine, he had me in mind, so I fulfilled my mitzvah. It's only if you drank the four cups of wine yourself. So that's why he says it's not mentioned there. Um, yes, sorry, so what are you he says, well, he, th- he says, oh, another thing is, by the way, you could pour a lot of water. In those days, and uh, it's interesting from the Talmud, I don't know how this worked, it seemed like the wine was much higher alcohol content, and they would water it down. Lower. Right. But the, he's, they say much higher. And, and what they, they were would, drinking would have been much, much lower. The Talmud, yeah, because they watered it down. That's Correct. what the Talmud says. Right. That, but that right. was standard. They were right. 1 to 2% alcohol. Right. So they would water it down. So, But the, at a certain level watering it down, when it's more water than wine, it's, it could be, it's not considered wine anymore at that point. You know, make a guffin. So, so he says there's another option. Um, he says here... You have to it's, you have to drink it individually, but you can. The option is to water it down. But he says then you, you have to be careful how much water you put in. Sorry, you were going to say yeah. The notion that Lukadeshet Shabbat good. means you have to drink wine is from the rabbis. Yes, true, that. true. That's a very good point. As a matter of fact, the Rabbi Kivager says that even if you say Shabbat Shalom to someone, you fulfilled your biblical obligation just by saying Good Shabbos or Shabbat Shalom Friday night. I don't know about good Shabbos, but at least Shabbat Shalom. You, uh, you fulfilled your <laughs> biblical obligation um, because you sanctify the day. By, by showing this day is holy, by saying Shabbat Shalom, that's sufficient. So it's a very good point. So thank, right, that's another, there'll be another answer as well. But anyway, so, he, so now what's interesting is here, the, on the bottom here he says... Um, Something important. You want to say something, man? Yeah, I, I, I've been on on the four cups and Shabbos. I've been drinking uh, grape juice. It's fine. Yeah, I'll write you a uh, note if you want. Yes, okay. it's it's fine. Most most people say. It's is fine. It, which one is is it better for me to drink wine? That's all I want to know. For the four cups, there's another reason. He's going he's to explain in a second. There's another issue, which is the part of the the four I cups is a is something called there's a concept on the Seder night called chayrut. Which means we're supposed to show that we're kings, we, you know, freedom, you know, that's why we lean officially and whatever, all that stuff. Alcohol. So, so some say that 
if there's no alcohol content, it's not considered chayrut. The whole idea of the four cups is to show we're, you know, we're, we're eating like a king and, and we're, we're no longer slaves. Slaves to God, that's a different issue. Slaves to your wife, whatever, that's different. But I'm saying it's, but we're, we're freed from Egypt. Okay, at least we're no longer slaves to Egypt. So you need to have the alcohol content, some say, in the four cups for that concept. So, so, uh, so that would be a reason, specifically the four cups, to drink wine as opposed to grape juice. But, uh, but not everyone agrees to that anyway. Moshe Fein says grape juice is fine. So now, um, so, th- so basically that's another. So now the question is applying this. So here it would seem to say, it would seem to say that mitzvah would not exempt you from a mitzvah. That's what it would seem the Shulchan Aruch say. You got to push yourself. Just because you're going to get a little headache, a little stomachache, that's not a reason to exempt you from the mitzvah. Um, but, again, this is not necessarily proof. The reason is because Mr. Brewer, the Chavetz Chaim on the bottom here, says something. I need to find where he says it, but he says something like, the reason is, oh, he, says, he says on the bottom here, he says the reason why you have to push yourself here is, again, because of this reason of, uh, wait, wait, wait. Right, because he says the, he says the reason why. Let's say you're going to get a headache. He says he he said he mentioned before if you're going to have to go to bed because of it, for sure you're exempt. So he says the reason is because again it's not derecheirut, because it's a specific thing. He's actually I'm, I'm going the opposite here. He's saying that if you're going to have to f- go to bed, it's going to be such a bad headache or such a bad stomach you're going to have to go lay down. Mr. Burr says you're exempt. Okay, in that situation. You don't have to push yourself. So now, question is, can we apply that to other mitzvot? Anytime I'm going to get a bad enough headache, I put on my tefillin and I wrap it too tight. I have a friend who always called me, you know, says, you wrap, wrap your tefillin too tight. That's why you're always, you know, so, so, uh, you know, jittery. So, uh, so, um, so the point is, right, so, so if you're going to have to, Let's say you wrap your tefillin too tight and you're going to get a bad enough headache, you have to go to bed because of it, so it would seem like you are exempt. But the, but the Mishburah says the reason is because, again, it's not their chirut. Specifically to this, is specific to the four cups, this exemption, because, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to, you know, if you're drinking like that, that's not freedom. If the drinking makes you sick, so then it's not considered freedom. Okay, again, the concept of chirut, of, of showing that you're... Free. So they're okay. distinguishing it as part of Pesach. And then yes. are they going to now separate and say Sukkot is also unique because well, we it's said Sukkot. Well, we said so Sukkot is unique already, but, but let's see, one second. Well, why is it unique? No, because it says, because uh, that's a verse. It says, Teshu came to do it. I understand, but it's like... So maybe, again, the question is... This, so this like way, they don't need to broaden the entire loophole. What is it? It's not, they say uh, it's appropriate uh, just for Sukkot. Maybe, it's maybe. appropriate just for maybe. the... Yeah. And there's another, one other thing, which is, is seems to be limited. There's another... Um, I, there's another mitzvah. Actually, by the way, in Pesach itself, there's another place where they talk about what happens if the mar makes you sick. There's a lot of things in Pesach that can make you sick. Or even matzah. Right, or matzah also. They don't talk about that uh, in the, at least earlier sources. Because they, they were tortillas uh, back yeah, in the No, I'm saying today everyone has celiac, they're off this, then no one has gluten-free. <laughs> I don't think in, in Poland no one, uh, they didn't know what gluten-free, <laughs> they weren't selling any gluten-free matzah. Here, like every every guy and his uncle is, is allergic to, to wheat. <laughs> Um, including my wife. I'm saying not, it's a real thing, but I don't know what happened over the generation. <laughs> Something happened that all of a sudden everyone became allergic to wheat. Actually, actually, a lot of pe- this is not related, but actually in Yenemyo, a lot of people were not treated and they were suffering badly. 
Part of being Jewish, you have stomach problems. A I thought it's a Jewish thing. A cup of wine is three ounces, isn't it? 3.2, to be exact. At least, no, that's how much you have to drink. Right. Yeah, 3.2 is the lowest amount. It's a lot of wine. When I was in Egypt and I got a headache, I had to go to work anyways. That's true. But now I have the luxury of staying home, getting a headache and staying home from work. Exactly. That's Beirut. That's a good argument. They it's usually Davka still need to drink it, even if you get that. Because you're staying home from work. Uh, in Egypt, yeah, you have to I'm still go to work. Yeah, but so still, you have to go. I mean, and I enjoy the ideas to show. Like I don't enjoy the leaning. Like I mean, you have to eat like this. It's a <laughs> that's part of the chiyur, which doesn't for me. It's the other, the other way. Other way, whatever. Oh, that's why I have to choke. Got to go to the left. So when it comes to Mar, also um, the Mishnah, the Shulchan Aruch has a hierarchy of which is best Mar. Actually, be, believe it or not, um, the horseradish that people eat is not on the higher. That's not the high. That's not the real Mar. According to the Talmud, the real Mar is like romaine lettuce, bitter tasting herbs. Um, horse and just in in Poland, they didn't have lettuce <coughs> in Ukraine, so they had they had horse. They had a lot of horseradish. So that's really lower on the list. Of fulfilling, uh, it's not the real marar. So let's say someone can't chew the lettuce, um, or they they have some problem with it. So the Mishnah, the Shulchan Aruch says here. No teeth. Yes, he says here. Um, <laughs> he says, uh, which means the lettuce. Um, uh, what are they called the chazeret marar? The same thing? No, chazeret is the lettuce. Uh, marar is. Horse, yeah, yeah. It's better yeah. with horseradish than lettuce. It's, it's not an issue anymore. So why is there separate places on the plate? Because, uh, you know, yes. Yeah, it's a good question. <laughs> yes. Good question. Have <laughs> you have to ask the pl- target who manufactures the plate? That's, uh, mm-hmm. um, That's many answer. questions. Lots of questions. Same answers. Says, uh, yes. He says like this. So the Chavetz Chaim says here, Someone who's sick or means he just, uh, you know, very sensitive guy. Okay. Okay. So that, he could take whichever, any one of these. You know, if someone is sick or, and this one bothers him, he can take the other one. It's not a problem. You can downgrade his mara. Um, <laughs> or he can eat slowly. Of course, you yotze with all of the above. So he just says, if let's say because of your health, you can't even eat that amount or that type, any type, just eat a little bit, chew it up, to remember, and then you can, he says you don't even have to swallow it, to remember the tamariris, to get the bitter taste in your mouth. But you can't make a bracha in that situation. So it would seem like, again, exempting you from mara here, two pages later, here he says you have to push yourself on the four cups, two pages later he says on the mara, if you're, enough, if you're, if you're, it's going to harm you in any way, not harm you, if you're not, if you're ill in any way, don't worry about it. Just take a, you know, get some uh, sharpness in your mouth. So, how, how so it seems to be contradictory. Kazai, at least, at least one kazai. But it said you can chew it, but you can't say the bracha unless you swallow it. Right. I mean, if you're not eating the requisite amount and you're not swallowing, it, don't make the bracha. Choose it right. The bracha is only on the full first. Yeah, but he's saying, let's say someone knows they're not going to be able to eat it. They can't take it. So if they know in advance that they're yeah, not going to well, be able to eat well, it. Yeah, it makes you sick every year. Listen, I know what happened later. I mean, most people remember. Are you on both swallowing? 
Usually, yeah. yes. Almost, yeah. So. Yeah, you could have a cheeseburger and not swallow it. As long as you don't swallow it, technically. How big an olive? That's a whole, that's a loaded question. <laughs> that's a loaded question. The, um, it sounds pretty clear that if you have questions about performing mitzvot, a lot of these definitions of illness are specific for mitzvot. So right. you have to consult so a rabbi, because uh, oh, who would know this stuff? People I mean, come no to this class now, know it. Yeah, right, I'm sure. The second part of it, which is a little more intriguing to me, is that it's very clear that the definition of discomfort, illness, suffering, is entirely subjective. Totally. I mean, From a large extent, although by the sukkah we said mitzvah is objective in the sense of you have to go with the average man. It's discomfort. You can't leave your sukkah just because uh, I don't like sunlight. You know, uh, I don't like. You know, I only right, wear. I only stay in my room in my mother's too. basement. The reasonable man, the average man, subjective. Right. Yeah, so yeah, subjective to society. But again, we go with the average man. As, in, as in the law, uh, if, if you just say what is it, it's subjective. If you say whatever the reasonable man would do, it's converted automatically to objective, even though it's exactly the same subjective issue. So, but you're, you're correct. You're That's when it comes to mitzvah and the sukkah. When it comes to illness, everyone has their... Yeah. Like you said, the guy's sensitive. He, he gave two examples here. He said either he's ill or he's extremely sensitive. You have people that, you know, anything, they only eat their, uh, you know, I don't know, their... Uh, Quinoa crackers and that's it. They won't touch anything else. No people like that, right? Invite them over and like after my wife has changed the whole menu because they're. Well, well, I'm, I'm getting. I'm, I'm suffering itself. The concept. Yes, it's at, subjective. 100%. Yeah, if you look at laws like physician-assisted suicide and euthanasia. They're based on suffering, and this reinforces the whole notion that it's almost impossible to define suffering in a way that you can apply it in a legal standard that Ed's talking about. It's just very, very yes. difficult. Agreed. You should pay one to ten. What's that? Right. Right. Yeah, yeah, you never know. It's so ridiculous. I'm saying it right. right. No, but the smiley face, right. Like, no. I know. It's <laughs> never, I'm trying to think. I'm having a massive headache. The guy's asking me what. Well, but that's the smiley a, face, man. That's not a relevant point because you're trying to object. Uh, yeah, instead, but it's standard. So you can put it into a box on the computer. That's what the whole point is. But it's ludicrous. It is ludicrous. I agree. You know, there's a there's a way of thinking. This is really what's nice about the Talmudic approach is they ex they constantly are examining the moral premises that lead to their conclusions. If you start with a false premise, which is you can objectify suffering, or sp then you're going to wind up with conclusions suffering. that are totally Suff bizarre. Whereas the rabbis are constantly examining their uh, their basic moral premises because they understand because they're taking step by step by step. You're going to wind out here with something ludicrous, but because you've logically followed steps based on a false premise, it no longer appears ludicrous to you. Yes, I got you. Uh, hey. So, I mean, it's intriguing yes. to listen to their reason. So, so, yeah, but so far we haven't really said any. Anything ludicrous? Any, no, we said many <laughs> We haven't said anything, any principles yet. We, each one we're saying, oh, this one, like as Ram pointed out, Pesach is, has its own issues of Cheres, this has its own issues of, of Teshu Kedudur, now, now Tefillin, listen to Tefillin. It's a Lachan Tefillin that says like this. It says, Cholomayayim, if someone has stomach problems, Patamit Tefillin. First thing is they're exempt from Tefillin, but that's really a, a, a non sequitur because um, there's a, you can't wear your tefillin to the bathroom. when you have to go to the bathroom. So that's automatically you're exempt from tefillin. If you have if you have stomach issues, either type, either direction, 
either extreme. You, you're not you're not supposed to wear tefillin because you have to have what's called a guf naki, a clean body. When you when you wear tefillin, you're not supposed to have to go to the bathroom um, at all. So and that's why actually they used to wear tefillin all day long. Today we only wear them for just for shachrit at most. I'm surprised. Even then you. I'm surprised yeah. more old men don't wear tefillin. Or so don't, they're going to the bathroom all the time. Right. You know? Yeah, no, so, so first of all, it's the difference between urine, urining, oh, there is a urination. Difference. Yeah, so we're talking about serious bathroom. Serious bathroom, not... Uh, you have to be careful if you take your children off to go to the bathroom and it's a public bathroom and it gets lost and he steals it. Uh, right, and, uh, so, so but then the Ramah goes on to point out, I feel Can you never go to the... Uh, so that's a good question. Uh, bathroom. Well, you mean a colon... No, no, he means the back. Colonoscopy. Colonoscopy, not a colonoscopy. Colonoscopy. Big difference. Never have... Anyway. Sorry? You don't go to the No, so it's a... Ramosha Feinstein talks about it. If it's covered and whatever... Put a band-aid. Yeah, he talks about the other... Yeah. You have to take it off there. No, no, no. He talks... I think he says you're allowed to... Meaning as long as it's covered... That's a different question because you're now at a daven in the same room as uh, as feces, and so that's a whole different issue. But he says, I think if it's if it's covered, it's fine. I believe he uh, I have to look back at. He has a responsibility about colostomy. Uh, have a class just on poo poo. We did many years ago. Yeah, I wrote. I could write a whole book on whole safer called uh, it's called feces called the halacha. Safer poo poo. There's a lot of halachas on it. Okay, so now. Um, so, so the Ramah goes out to say here, and the Mendem, he says, He says, even if you have no pain, but you have, you have stomach issues, um, then he goes on to say, any other illness, if someone is discomforted, major discomfort because of his illness, and his mind is not rested, is the literal translation, meaning he can't focus on the putting on his fillin. He's exempt from putting on fillin. So he says, if someone has, let's say you have a migraine headache, says the Ramah, you're exempt from wearing tefillin. But if he's daitem yushevin, meaning he could have a headache, but he's still able to focus, and we'll see what that means. I'm not sure exactly, but we'll try to figure it out. Vimlav chayv. So, okay, so he's bringing an earlier authority that says, anytime you, you cannot, you're ill enough that you can't focus on putting on your tefillin, while you're wearing tefillin, he says you're exempt from tefillin, says the Ramah. Okay, now... So it that's sounds like a general exemption. Here. Well, that's kind of circular reasoning. It's saying if you can't perform the mitzvah, no, you can don't perform it. I no, can put can. it on. I can wrap it, but I can't. It means you're not calm. You're 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 thinking about uh, you know I gotta go to the doctor. I gotta get exactly. You really. But can't I'm saying, but I could. What do you mean? I put the filling on my head. So what is the definition? Of stuff uh, part of the mitzvah. Yeah. So now, so so in this also the Chavetz Chaim points out here in his commentary he says. Um, Patur, why? So he says, Shema mitochatzar, because of the discomfort and the pain, yasiach daito mehem. You will, you will, um, you're not gonna be able to to focus on the fact that you're wearing tefillin. And in, when you wear tefillin, as we mentioned before, you have to constantly be in, um, focused on that fact. Meaning that's one of the re- another reason we don't wear it all day today um, is for that reason because uh, you, we, no one could stay that focused today. Everyone's ADD today, OCD, ADD, whatever. <laughs> and therefore, um, um, just like the kin, the quinoa, it's all part of the same. I don't know what it is. So therefore, we don't wear. Um, we don't wear tefillin all day. So he's saying, 
but that's the reason. Meaning, tefillin has a specific obligation when you're performing the mitzvah. As Shelley's mentioning, the part of the mitzvah is to f- that you have in mind. You realize you're wearing tefillin. If your mind starts wandering and you can't focus, then you should take off your tefillin. Isn't that no. true of all mitzvah that you're no. aware you're doing a mitzvah? You wear doing a mitzvah when you're doing the act. But here, the problem is you put on your head. And now, as Rabbi Rudinsky is always saying that um, when uh, you know he says when you finish davening, you gotta. He always he says when you finish monastery, you have to say tefillah tadach because you, you've been to so many places during the tefillah. You were in Hawaii, your last trip to Hawaii, <laughs> and the trip to South America. He says you traveled all over the world. You gotta say uh, the wayfarers pray. It, it's like it's like doing an emergency appendectomy during the last game of the World Series. <laughs> you're not focused anymore on the appendectomy. You're doing it, you're going through the motions, but you really wish you were in front of the TV. Uh, well, that's kind of No, wishing you were somewhere else, that's always. I mean, everyone in shul is wishing they are somewhere else. <laughs> I don't think that's an exemption. <laughs> 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 yeah. so the Even the, ra- the rabbis are sure is wishing somewhere else. The mitzvah, as yeah. far as the yad goes, is to bind it, not to keep it on. But as far as the rush goes, is to keep it on. No, but they both they both stay on once you bound it. So I had this case. I think I mentioned. I don't know if I mentioned last week. I mentioned somewhere in a different place that uh, had a guy to a ninety at the time he was ninety two, I think, and he I finally I learned with him every week. We met in Starbucks for many years, and I finally convinced him to put on that she hasn't he hadn't put on film since the bar mitzvah. So he said, "Listen, I don't do anything that doesn't make sense to me." So I said, "Let's study about it." If it makes sense, then you'll do it. If not, so that was the deal we made. So I spent like a month learning, studying with him, outfilling and the reasons behind it, etc. Um, and uh, he said, "Oh, it's, it actually makes sense." But I'm not going to do it anyway because he has arthritis, very bad arthritis. He said, "I can't wrap." So he said, "Can you find out if that's an exemption?" Okay. So I didn't know about this halach. I wrote to Dr. Steinberg. I sent an email. I tried to find, dig it up, couldn't find it. But uh, Dr. Steinberg said technically he's exempt. Mitzvah of Tefillin, what we're saying right here. Um, if you have pain by putting on the Tefillin, in this case he had arthritis, so so that exempts you from the mitzvah. Okay? And so he, he said, but he could still, there's a question if the mitzvah of the Shal Yad, Shal Rosh are two different mitzvahs, that's an argument in the Talmud. Or it's one mitzvah. Some people only make one bracha on the Shal Yad for both, because they consider one mitzvah. Chabad does that. Others, um, most normative Judaism makes two brachas on the tefillin, but it's an old argument. So he said, listen, he still has to put on the shalrash. The, the arthritis will just exempt him from the shalyat. He should still wear the shalrash. Um, so but that was what Dr. Steinberg said, but this is based on a, this halacha right here. Okay, so, so, so what this the guy is doing? Impact. He didn't tell us the end of the story. But never put on. <laughs> Couldn't get him to put on the shalrash either. But, uh, so, um, okay, so now there's, there's a few other very important uh, uh, what, response, what, yes. To try to get to the principle, because we're going to run out of time. Yes. The mitzvah of putting on tefillin, what are you supposed to be focusing on? Good question. It's <laughs> a very Kabbalistic, not for now. We could have a different class on that, or okay. privately. I'm not sure myself, actually. But you're exempt if you can't focus on whatever it is. No, yeah, on. I think it just, you have to be aware that you're wearing tefillin. So it's like, mm-hmm. the tefillin is like the, it says the Kohen God, the word that sits 
this uh, mm-hmm. plate on his forehead that says Kodesh Hashem. So also it'd be, it's, it filling is in place of that, so to speak. So you have, have to be focused. If he, he, you know, it's meaning you have to be aware it's on him at all times. Had Hashem's name on it. So similarly, the tefillin doesn't mean you have to have any special Kabbalistic incantations that you have to be doing, but but it means uh, you have to know you're in tefillin. If you if your mind wanders, that's a problem. If you have to take off the tefillin, it's on the side, and because uh, you do have to go to the bathroom, are you obliged to put them back on when you get back? Not necessarily. And I mean, do, when we the, m- the least you have to do in your tefillin is many people just do this. Many people, I tell, they just they don't want they don't come to shul. They they just say the shema. As long as it says you should say the shema in your tefillin, you're good to go. After that, really. But yeah, ask Chabad and their mobile. Yeah, so you're saying the Shema is sufficient. It says when you say the Shema and you're not wearing tefillin, it's like saying false testimony because it talks about the tefillin. But I'm saying that's it. That's the le- the minimum you have to do. After that, so you're more or less fine. Many times people have stomach. I mean, people do have stomach problems. So they just put it on for the Shema and that's it. When you say say the Shema, you mean up to uh, like oh, the saying the Yeah. Yeah. Up to Listen, as lo- the longer you can wear it, it's great. But I'm saying again, the obligation is only an obligation to put it on once a day and you're done. You, could do, you don't have to do it during tefillah. Told uh, tol the three paragraphs of Shema. Three paragraphs. Beyond the mitzvah. No, the mitzvah. No, So just as far as, so as far as the, let's get to a principle here. So there's another, by the way, there's one other Gemara, which I didn't really understand. I have to find it. Um, see if I can find it quickly. This one we're finished with. Like the other, which are clear as day. No, so there's an g- interesting Gemara that talks about um, two cases. One is where it says that, oh, well, actually, there's a, there's a response on, I don't have it here. So first of all, so, so uh, there, there's another Gemara, which, again, I, I don't remember where it is. Let me see if I can quickly find the source. Based on that, I'll just tell you it's a fascinating Gemara. It just says physicians talk about um, circumcision, where a case where the guy, the child, first of all, in the case of tumtum, where he's uh, covered up, so his the penis is covered with skin. What's that called? The, like an uh, ambiguous genitalia. But, genitalia right. but, but, but we know. Let's say we took an MRI. We know he's male. There's a penis there. Mm-hmm. So the question is, does he have to? Do we have to? remove the skin in order to do the circumcision. The Gemara discusses that. One of the things it discusses is it's, it's, it's pain. It also discusses where, um, I don't know, there's a medical term for it, where is the opening of the, is, is on the side or something. What's it called? Hypospadias. No, no, it's ambiguous genitalia. It has skin covering, meaning, so the question is, do I have to even remove that flap of skin over the whole genitalia in order to do the circumcision or not. <coughs> do we require that? And then also discusses do you do circumcision on the side? And it's not clear. I, di- I didn't really understand the Gemara, honestly. So I'll just tell it to you. But it, it seems to say, the Gemara seems to imply that since it's going to cause major pain, that might be a reason to exempt um, doing the circumcision, which is very strange because all circumcision is major pain. Obviously, <laughs> even a regular circumcision is pain. So there's an implication there um, in that case but maybe it's talking about an adult or the other concern the Gemara seems to imply that it might excessive or it might um, cause him to be infertile infertile if it's done if you don't do it exactly right that's a reason to exempt him which so the question is is there proof from that Gemara I I didn't understand it well enough to understand if there's proof from that but there's another very important principle which is like this that some this book that I found called Binyan Shlomo it's quoted 
seems to imply that he's talking about actually he's going on sukkah, and from there he wants to say, he wants to ex- explain why chola, an ill person in sukkot, would be a different category than a regular mitzvah, and the source is just because he's ill. So he wants to say like this, he wants to say that any mitzvah, he wants to say a principle, that will cause you enough pain, he says, just like we have a principle, in, as we discussed in the past many times, that you're not supposed to spend more than a fifth of your net worth on a mitzvah. You're not obligated to spend more than a fifth of your net worth, okay, this is good to know, on a mitzvah. Let's say tefillin, you don't have, you can't afford tefillin, tefillin are $500 these days, prices have gone up. $600, yeah, you could get $300 pair, probably not going to last you that long. So, so let's say you can't afford it. I can't afford to fill it. So on a mitzvah say on a positive commandment, you do not have to spend more than a fifth of your net worth. You're exempt from the mitzvah. Okay, the Gemara discusses, actually, the, first, the, the only case the Talmud discusses is really charity. It does discuss, um, actually, the etrog. It comes into play with buying an etrog, which is not cheap either. So the question is, so again, it's not a question. So it's a very clear, that's halacha that we seem to understand from the Talmud. It's not only limited to charity, and this applies to charity. You're not allowed to give away more than a fifth of your net worth. Charity. Federation comes knocking, and they want a lot of money. You tell them, Rabbi Grossman said, prohibited. It's not only, it's not that you're exempt. It's prohibited to give more than a fifth of your net worth to charity. Why? Because over there it's specific to charity because the, the rationale is that uh, the whole idea is to help the needy people. People get them out of their you know, their situation. If you're going to give so much money, again, unless you're Bill Gates, where that's an exception to the rule, we have billions, so if you're giving a fifth of your net worth, then you might become needy at some point, so you're defeating the purpose. So that's what the Gemara implies, but for some reason we do apply that to all positive commandments. Now a negative commandment, on the other hand, obviously we're not going to say if um, murder, you could allow to murder if it's going to cost you more than a fifth of your net worth. Your ex-wife wants more than a fifth of your net worth, so you can kill her. No, we don't say that. Don't make sure you understand that. Right? So, um, right, it's only a positive commandment. We say you're exempt um, of the mitzvah, if the mitzvah will cost you more than a fifth of your net worth. By the way, when it comes to saving lives, it's a question, is it positive, negative? So that's a whole different question, not for today. How much you have to spend to save someone's life? That's a different question. But um, basically, so based on this principle, which he says, getting ill, if by performing, if we're saying, I don't have to perform a positive commandment, any positive commandment in the Torah, by spending more than a fifth of my net worth. Why? Because it's going to put me in a situation where I'm not going to have a lot of money. Okay, and I'm not going to be able to live a certain lifestyle, whatever the case is. So surely, he says, this, this guy, Binyan Shlomo says, this rabbi, says that the same would apply to illness. If by performing this mitzvah, it will make me ill, it's no different. You're going to say illness is less than money? If the mitzvah will make me ill, and again, not danger, we're not talking about dangerous illness. It's going to make me have to go to bed or make me very uncomfortable. Again, not just because of your idiosyncrasies, really meaning to the point where I'm going to get a major migraine headache or etc. So he says you should have the same principle. And therefore you're exempt from the positive commandment. And so this is the first time you see this principle, some type of principle, which seems to imply that across the board we're going to apply it. And again, it's source is sucker, because he's saying since we see two diff- distinct categories basically, we see what's called a mitzvah, which is based on the fact, the verse that says any discomfort you're exempt from the sukkah only because that's a special limitation to sukkah because the verse says shall dwell in the sukkah as you dwell in your home as you mentioned, so you leave your home for that so you're allowed to leave the sukkah. But there's another category called chola, an ill person, which we see is different in the sense that even the first night the chola would be exempt. So you see from there, that that's a gemara, 
from the Talmud that illness would exempt you from from um, the mitzvah. And he's saying it's just basic rationale that the illness will exempt you because just as we exempt you because of money, so surely we'll exempt you because of illness. So that's what he says in these 20 pages there. That's a quick summary. Um, now, it's not um, supposed to be an obvious connection? Because it doesn't seem obvious. Yeah, it's not so simple. But okay, he makes sure. that connection, yes. Well. Clearly not. Uh, he, he's, again, he wants to say money, illness shouldn't be worth the money. Meaning, so he does, there is a limit that some people discuss that if I would pay, and how much would you pay to get out of this mess? In a certain sense, meaning not to become ill. How much would a person, some say that you may need to apply the limits test, meaning if you pay more than a fifth of your net worth not to have that illness, so then that's part of the, that, you need that for the exemption. But it's not clear. Um, it's, it's, uh, like I said, this topic is not, hasn't been discussed until recently for some reason. Monetize the value of the mitzvah. In a certain sense. Monetize the value yeah. of your illness. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is also very subjective and yeah. yeah and so it's monetizing. I mean, what um, does a fifth of your income mean? That income, that worth. Fifth of your net worth. What does yeah. that mean? I, I mean, there are a gazillion accountants, tax lawyers, and everything else that are fighting yeah. over exactly what that means. <laughs> That's also just right. You count your IRAs. You count your. But if you can't be a doctor, you can become an accountant. There you go. Okay, so now, but it's not. It's not so simple. At the end of the day. Huh? Their houses are worth more. They haven't got the. They can't afford to give away that for any uh, tzedakah. So, so at the end of the day, first of all, this is an article we did. It, I think last year, Pesach, two years ago. It's called uh, Celiac: A Guide to Mitzvah Observance for Celiacs. It's like a twenty-page article. It's kind of happens to be a friend of mine. So um, he. So the hypochondriacs. Celiacs. Oh. Celiacs, because there's many mitzvot. It's a like, synonym. Um, uh, for uh, like even that, you know, this is he goes through every mitzvah, like eating uh, Shabbat, Kiddush, like we're saying um, sukkah. There's so many mitzvot that involve eating, mm-hmm. as we know. Judaism is a very um, food-centric religion, and uh, so there's so many mitzvot that that if you're celiac, you have issues with. Matzah, every Kiddush Makam Suda, Sukkot, what else is he discussing? Chala, I mean, everything. Oat muffin, so he goes through Brachot, also what Brachot you make on all these mitzvahs. That's a big one, that's a hierarchy. Yom Kippur, Arab Yom Kippur, right? You have to eat. He goes through tons of all the mitzvot for Siliac. Okay? So so he just, he mentions, more or less, I used it as a sheet because he starts off discussing this concept of mitzvah performance which makes you ill meaning so he, he mentions here four opinions and we'll, and then I'll summarize it and we'll end up to he, so there's another uh, which I brought which we discussed in the past we, as we started the class saying that let's say the, ma- the doctor tells you not to eat matzah he prohibited to eat matzah okay um, but he but in this response of the Maram Sheikh which was written in 18, he lived somewhere between 1807 and 1879 his name was Moshe Sheikh known as the Maram Sheikh he has a response from here so he he, he he says if the doctor tells you not to eat matzah you prohibit it from eating it if you did eat it you haven't fulfilled your mitzvah and you can't make a bracha but then he goes in 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 his words he seemed to imply but if it's just going to make you a little sick then you have to eat it so he would seem to hold like any mitzvah that makes you a little sick would would still be obligatory um, and he says you can make a bracha on it also even in that case discusses that so just in his response about listening to the doctor he says you have to listen to the doctor but if it's just going to give you a minor illness that is not an exemption he seems to be of that opinion then he brings um, uh, 
the Birke Yosef, which is a commentary on the Shulchan Aruch, says on, 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 in Sukkah, in the laws of Sukkah, uh, says that, again, you're, you're exempt from any positive biblical commandment where performing the mitzvah exacerbates or causes sickness. So again, he seems to be of that opinion. Um, and then the, the one that I mentioned about monetizing it, he says it's, it's the Eshel Avram, who's a commentary on the Magan Avram, um, says like this, he says that there's no special leniency for a sick person in mitzvot except that if the person will be willing to pay one-fifth of his money to avoid the illness um, caused by fulfilling a mitzvah, then he's excused from performing that mitzvah. Okay, and then we said the Binyan Shlomo he brings, which is that opinion that says, no, anytime we see from sukkah, anytime a mitzvah makes you ill, um, you're exempt from that's the mitzvah again. Ha- that's pretty harsh judgment if you pay one-fifth of your net worth to avoid that illness. That's pretty harsh judgment. Meaning it's, it's not so sad, meaning most people we say would not pay no, fifth of the net worth to get everything. They had like a cow then. But let's say a celiac, for example. That's, that's a good yeah, example. It's someone who has celiac disease. So would they pay a fifth of the net worth to cure the celiac disease? That would be a good example. Meaning, some people, listen, they want to. My wife, well, my wife doesn't eat grain. Cure, my wife that. doesn't eat this stuff, and she she's always desperate for a cookie. Yeah, and but say, she walks around all day saying, I need a cookie, I need a cookie. She might pay for... That's uh, different than avoiding a discomfort. I wouldn't pay my one-fifth for what I'm saying. She might give up a fifth network to get a cookie. If I'm going to make a mozzi and I'm thinking all the time about what this is going to do to my celiac disease, it's like the business about tefillin. Yeah, but again, tefillin is is a special halach of tefillin. You have to have yisuve daita. You have to have relaxed. uh, You have to be able to focus. Only on tefillin. You don't find every other mitzvah. Specific to So so it's just to sum it up here. So this is another book that discusses this Mikhasasha, a contemporary rabbi in Israel. He says like this. Bottom line is there are four levels, and this is one to sum it up. There are four levels, he says, in someone who's ill relate in relation to mitzvah. First one, as we mentioned, is Kholashyeshba Sakana. Someone is dangerously ill. Asur He's prohibited from doing a mitzvah that could worsen or exacerbate his illness, um, that could cause, even in the future, a danger to his illness. So that's number one across the board. Everyone agrees to that. Um, for sure, even on a negative commandment, by the way, as we know, you violate anything in the Torah in order not in 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 order something that endangers your life. Any mitzvah endangers your life. So that's level number one. Level number two is sakanat ever. A, there's a danger not to your life but to a limb. Might lose a finger, get frostbite if I have to, uh, whatever it is, go save this guy. Or any other permanent damage. So he says, in that case, he his opinion is, you again, you can't be machmer. It's prohibited to be strict, and you're not allowed to perform the mitzvah. It's not optional. You're not only you're exempt. It's prohibited to perform the mitzvah that will cause loss of limb or a thing or something like that of an organ. He says that's that's uh, even though it won't endanger your life. I lose a pinky. I'm not. My diet life is not in danger. Still uh, do everything I need to do. Um, num- then he says number three is cholosh sakana. You have an illness that is, no, it's not going to endanger a limb. It's not going to endanger a life. He says in that case, near ikud the mina mitzvos. It's going to make you ill. So he's, his opinion is like going with the binyan shlomo, which that, that we saw that you're exempt from the mitzvah. If it's going to f- make you go to bed, that means you're going to get a major, major migraine or major stomachache, and it's going to cause you to take off from work. It doesn't mean you have to lay down, but it's going to cause you to stay home and watch uh, reruns all day. So then um, that's sufficient to exempt you from the mitzvah. But he says, in that case, if you want to be strict and still perform the mitzvah, even though it's going to give you a stomachache or a headache, 
you're, you're allowed to do it. So it's chasidus, it's extra credit in that situation. Again, where it's not a danger. If it's a danger to your life or a danger to a limb, it's prohibited. You're an idiot if you do the mitzvah. Um, but if, if it's just going to cause a stomach headache, you want to do it, it's your prerogative, but you're exempt from the mitzvah. Um, and, you, and he says, and you still make a bracha. If you do the mitzvah in that case, you make a blessing. In the last case, it's sarabalma. This means just a minor you know, discomfort by performing the mitzvah. He says then you have to push yourself, as we see from the wine, um, um, like, like the four cups. In that case, he says, it's just a minor discomfort where you're not even going to go to bed. You're not going to take off work for that. You wouldn't take off work. That's the litmus test for that discomfort. You wouldn't lay down. If you're in that situation, then he says you have to push yourself and do the mitzvah in any case. So those are the four categories.